college dorm. I was 20 years old. I remember the night as if it was yesterday. I was studying to be a pastor in Chicago, and it was the first time, perhaps maybe the only time, that I had the serious thought of taking my life. When I was nine years old, I remember as a young boy walking into the basement of my uh, uncle's house, and my older brothers were watching a uh, horror film. He had the HBO channel, you know. I sat down to watch it with them. I can tell you to this day the name of the film and exactly what happened. And in that moment, a lady got out of the bed completely undressed. At nine years of age, that moment marked me, seared in my mind. I can remember it like that. Being a highly visual person, having a fairly addictive background, it sent me on a journey as I got into my middle school years to high school years where I became entrenched and addicted to pornography. Felt helpless, felt hopeless, stuck. Here I am, studying to be a pastor, and yet I couldn't change. There was a giant in my life that I could not overcome. And the sense of guilt, the sense of shame and despair brought me to a moment that that scared me. Today, God wants for you to experience victory. In fact, for some, you may have walked in defeated, you may have walked in hopeless, and I'm confident and trusting that at the end of our time, God wants to meet you in such a way that you can walk out with hope, with confidence, with victory, and with life. Amen. We're talking about David and Goliath, the ultimate underdog story. But what we're really talking about is how do you overcome the giants in your life? You know, those things that are so overwhelming and daunting that have taken hold of your life, that have become perhaps the definition of who you are. You might have like me, have said, well, this is just who I am. I'm never going to change. Well, I got news to you for you. The gospel says something radically different about who you are. This is not who you are. And you will experience the life-giving change of Jesus in your life. So how do you overcome the giants 
in your life. Uh, last week we left David off with being anointed by Samuel as the next king, yet he's a teenage boy and was fascinating about the life of, of David, I mean, not Daniel, uh, is that he gets anointed as king and you know what he does? He goes back to the shepherd field. He goes back to his daily life. Uh, Saul, the king at the time, uh, man, this guy was starting to become unraveled, and his assistants say to him, hey, guess what? Uh, you need somebody to play some soothing, cool jazz to just kind of calm you down. And we found this shepherd boy, and he's pretty good with the harp, and we're going to bring him in when you're in your temperament and mood. And he'll play and it'll just kind of ease the pain. And so for a series of time, uh, David is going between the palace and the shepherd field, back and forth. Just on call musician and then he'd go back. Well, it came about that at that time there was uh, the Philistines advancing against Israel. If you know anything about the Philistines, they're the arch enemies, really, of Israel. Multiple times over the course of their history, they not only besieged and conquered the Israelites, but they uh, caused them to be slaves, and they would fight back, gain their own freedom. Well, the Philistines are coming again, and so Saul marches out with the army, and three of David's older brothers are with him and they're mounted, you know, one is on one side of a valley, the Philistines are on another side of the valley, and Jesse, the father of David, says, hey, Dave, go, go check in on your brothers. 14 miles south of where they live is this battle being fought. His three older sons are there. He's concerned. He wants David to go, hey, just bring some supplies and tell me that everything's okay because I'm afraid. David shows up, and he sees this champion Goliath walk down into the valley between them and yell, defying the armies of Israel, saying, hey, any one of you come challenge me. Come on. You see, war in the ancient day was incredibly brutal. I mean, war today is, is, is terrible, but it, so much more in the ancient Near East as it was hand-to-hand -hand combat, and, and the loss of life was actually more than what happened on the battlefield because of an injury, you would have infection, and so many people would die that, that they would often have what would be a representative battle. It was a common way to bring about um, a resolution between warring nations. Is you, you have your champion, and you have the other person's champion, and they come, and whoever wins, they're the winner. Because nobody wants to really fight. Nobody wants to lose their life. Well, their champion is a man named Goliath. Nine feet, nine inches tall, he walks down into that valley... And for 40 days, morning and night, he walked down into that valley and he challenged Israel and said, come on, which, you, which one of you weenies want to step out? And every time he went out into that valley, the Israelites fled in fear. David shows up one morning on the 40th day when Goliath... He's walking down into that valley. 
And he hears Goliath's chant. And what everyone else saw was a, was a giant that was impossible, a giant that was overwhelming, a giant that, that no one could take on and nothing could change, and so they were stalemated. David heard something very different. So come on now. How, how is it that this guy is defying the armies of the living God? I mean, come on. Can you imagine your little brother showing up and starting to talk like that? Eliab, uh, David's older brother, did not like it. And he's gone, hey, Dave, shut up. <laughs> David totally ignores him. He goes on. He's asking all these sort of things, questions. Eventually, news gets to Saul that somebody in his armies asking these types of questions. For 40 days and for 40 nights, nobody asked these types of questions. And all of a sudden, you got somebody that's like asking these types of questions. The king's going, okay, maybe we got somebody. And in walks a teenager, about 17 years of age. Not a warrior, a shepherd. Saul kind of recognizes him as he was, you know, brought into his court, but... He says, bro, I I don't think you get this. (laughs) The man down there is a man, and you're a boy. The man down there has been fighting longer than you've been alive, and you're a boy. (laughs) David looks at him and says, hang on. So I've been watching my dad's sheep for a while, you know that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And what would happen is when a lion would come and take one of my sheep, I would go after it and I would kill the lion. When a bear came, I would go after it and kill the bear. And this is really interesting. It's fascinating to realize that the shepherd field for David prepared him for the battlefield ahead. Those moments of obscurity, those moments that seem meaningless, those moments of saying, you know what, I'm going to get after and save that piddly little sheep instead of going like, hey, I got enough sheep. Maybe my dad won't mind missing one sheep. And it was that moment of preparation that prepared him for his future destination and destiny. Saul goes, hey, cool, all right. Well, we got no one else. And it's fascinating to think he, we have no one else. Because it's said of Saul that he was a head taller than everybody else. The average height in the ancient day that time was about five foot three. Goliath's nine, nine. Woo! If we take in just rough guesstimation, Saul's probably about six, three, six, four. He's the one when you look at matching up when you're playing basketball. Saul, you got him. He's bigger than me, I know, but you're the biggest guy on our team. Right? So you got him. And Saul's cowering behind his fearful troops. Saul says, okay, fine, you can go out. Go for it. 
and he puts his own armor on David. Now think about this. Saul, six foot four, David probably five foot three, puts his armor on him. I mean, it's just too much. And he's trying to walk around with it. And he's going, man, I can't do this. It's so important when we're facing the giants of our day that we don't put on Saul's armor. <laughs> they're, not, they're not made for you. So he goes down to a brook, pulls out five smooth stones. He's got his sling. Now, this wasn't a sling that we think of, the little thing you pull back. This is a lethal weapon. In fact, the velocity that they could uh, generate with a sling was as fast as a bullet and deadly accurate. He had his sling. He had his five smooth stones. Now, it's interesting. I don't know if this is true, but some researchers and some people speculate on this. Like, why did David grab five stones? Like, why, why did he get five? Some people think this. And I, we have no idea whether it's true or not. But I love this. Goliath had four brothers. <laughs> Some people think he got five stones just in case a few of his brothers showed up. David runs down to the battlefield, this seasoned warrior, and Goliath looks at him, scoffs, and says, what are you, feeding sticks? Am I a dog throwing bones to me? (laughs) And David says, who are you to defy? the armies of the living God. This day, you're going to die. This day, you're going to go down. You've been walking down into this valley for 40 days, and you didn't know that this day was your last day walking down into this valley. And here's the reason why. I want everyone to know that the battle belongs to the Lord. That's the reason I'm so confident showing up into this valley. He just begins to generate speed. Right in the forehead. He goes down. You know what they say, the bigger they are, the harder they fall. Now, there's so much more in this that God wants for you It's not just a cute story, but there's incredible principles and lessons for us in how do you overcome the giants of your life. Because the reality is, is some of you are facing giants. What is a giant? A giant is an immovable, insurmountable problem. Do you have an immovable, insurmountable problem In front of you, do you have a foe that you're facing that feels impossible? A foe that you're facing that feels overwhelming? A giant is that which is in opposition to your God-given potential, who he's made you to be and what he's called you to do. Externally, we might see a giant as certain people in your life. It might be a boss, an ex, co-worker. Someone that constantly opposes you, constantly pulls you down. You, you might feel like it's your spouse, but uh, no. Let's, 
might be resources externally. Feel like there's this immovable, insurmountable problem of resources. You don't have what you believe you need to accomplish what God's called you. It might be a betrayal or critics or past wounds or your circumstance. For many, for many, the giants are internal. This morning, it's addiction, anger, depression, anxiety, septic thoughts. You have a thought pattern about the way you're processing life, and it pulls you down and it keeps you stuck. Maybe loneliness or insecurity, bitterness or discouragement. Well, what do giants produce in us? First, they produce a sense of hopelessness, don't they? Where you can lay in a college dormitory with your whole life in front of you and think it's not worth living. Hopelessness is lethal to the human soul. Where there is no hope, you, you do not have the ability to endure and go on. You begin to believe things like this is who you are. You'll never change. Your marriage will never get better. Your future is in the tank. You're a failure. You're a loser. You're a screw-up. Giants produce a sense of hopelessness, and giants produce a sense of paralyzing fear. We get stuck, immobilized. We become like that army standing on the other side of the valley, watching day in and day out the giant address, the giant attack, the giant tell you you're worthless and you're no good, and you get paralyzed by fear because you think you can't. No, 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 you wouldn't say you think you can't. Here's what you said. I know I can't. And we get paralyzed and we get stuck. Overwhelmed with fear. So how do you overcome the giants in your life? I want to suggest from this story that many of us know so well, have heard, whether you grew up in the church or not, you know the story of David and Goliath. Malcolm Gladwell brought it back in his book, David and Goliath. But there's five things for us to glean to overcoming the giants in your life. The first thing that we need to embrace and understand when it comes to overcoming your giant is you first have to name your Goliath. You have to name your Goliath. It said in 1 Samuel 17, 14, a champion named Goliath, who was from Gath, came out of the Philistine camp. His height was six cubits in span. That's about, in our language, nine feet, nine inches tall. You can't address what you don't identify. For some, you are living in a vague sense of, like this vague feeling of what's going on. You need to address. Here's the addiction that I'm dealing with. You know what? I'm down and discouraged every single day. Perhaps 
I am depressed. I, I'm wrestling with anxiety. Name your Goliath. What is it for you? Maybe it's a past wound. By the way, when we're talking about anger, for some, that's, that's been a response. That's just been how you've responded. It's interesting to note that anger is always a secondary emotion. You're angry about something. You don't have an anger issue. You have something, and you need to go back. And here's what we do. We address the fruit or the symptoms, but don't identify the root. To experience victory and overcome victory, you got to know, hey, i got a Goliath in my life. Here is my Goliath. Here is the foe. And it's not to say somehow it's not that big of a deal, but you have to go, okay, you are the opposition to me becoming who God called me to be. Now, this is the thing. This is the shift. This is what has to happen. You name your Goliath, but you focus on your God. No. It was good. I was hoping for a little bit more. That's the dramatic pause. It was good. you got to name your Goliath, but you have to focus on your God. Notice what David says. Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? You know, when Saul was in a crunch, he would go to Samuel, the prophet, the judge, and he'd say, pray to the Lord your God for me. Over and over we see in David, he prays and he talks about the Lord my God. Like, who is your God? Now, let me talk about God for a second. The living God is the almighty God, the all-powerful God, the all-wise, all-knowing God. He is transcendent, omnipresent, fully good, completely faithful, and merciful God. Anybody got a coin in the front row? I've done this illustration a bunch of times, but a quarter. Anybody? Throw me a quarter. It's really to see if I can catch. Here we go. Thank you. I can. This is what we do in our life. And for if you've been around, you've seen me do this illustration, but it's just so appropriate for this moment. Can I keep this for the next service, by the way? I'll owe you 25 cents next week. Thank you. Okay, you're giant. You're giant. Let's talk about this real quick. Here's what we do. We have it pulled all the way up to here, and we focus on the giant in our life. We focus on the problem. We focus on the issue. We focus on the person. We focus on the circumstance. And it's right here, and it's all-consuming, and it's all that we see. And we think that's how life is. So you got to name, you got to identify, here's what's going on. Here's reality. I'm not going to shirk that. I'm not going to say this is little. I'm not going to say that it's small. I'm not going to say that it's insignificant. But here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to put it in perspective to who my God is. And so here's the reality. If we just can kind of pretend for a second that our God actually is this room and your giant is this quarter. And we go, this is the reality of what the giant is. But my God is way bigger than what this quarter is. And it puts your problems in perspective. You have to name your Goliath, but then you focus on your God. There is nothing too great for him, and nothing catches him by surprise. 
And so it gives you a confidence. It gives you a courage to go, okay, <laughs> yeah, it's big. It's imposable. It looks impossible. But my God's bigger. So I'm going to get after it. And so then we make a battle plan. Got to make a battle plan. And here's the reason I use that word, battle plan, because it is a battle. I was talking with a good buddy this past week, and we had both a bit of a similar experience about the new year. Uh, as we were talking and hanging out over lunch, he, he used this illustration. He's like, it's like I walked out into the middle of a boxing ring but didn't realize I was a part of a boxing match, and I just got hit with a right and then a left. And then the bell dings, and I went back to the corner, and I realized, oh, so that's what this is. <laughs> All right, here we go. Because now I'm coming back into the match, and I'm not just expecting life to go easy. I've got my gloves up. So many of us are going through life, and you are going, hey, I just want to coast. I want everything to be easy. It's a battle facing the giants in your life, the things that will keep you from who God made you to be. You have a real spiritual enemy that wants to take you out. Get your gloves up. Stop coasting in life. Don't be surprised when you get a left hook out of nowhere. Get your gloves up. Make a battle plan. Saul's armor said, no, thank you. Sling, thank you very much. Let me give you one battle plan. Just an illustration. The 12 Steps of Alcoholics Anonymous. Step one, admit we're powerless over alcohol, that our lives had become unmanageable. That's naming your Goliath. Step two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. That's focus on your God. Step three, make a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understand him. Step four, make a searching and fearless moral inventory of our lives. Step five, admit to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongdoing. Step six, we're entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Step seven, humbly ask him to remove our shortcomings. Step eight, make a list of every person we've harmed and become willing to make amends to them all. Step nine, make a direct amends to such people wherever possible except to do uh, when to do so would injure them or others. Step 10, continue to make, take personal inventory when we're wrong and promptly admit it. Step five, uh, sought through prayer and meditation to prove our contact with God and understanding of him, praying for the knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. Step five, having a spiritual awakening as a result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to alcoholics and practice these principles in all of our affairs. That's a battle plan. Do you have a battle plan? It's not just about praying hard and wishing. Do you have a battle plan? Name your Goliath. Now you can have a specific battle plan. (laughs) If David had went out in Saul's armor, he would have been taken out like that. But he realized who his enemy was and his strategic advantage. 
I'm quick. He ain't. I'm good with the sling. I don't have to get close to him. You know, in my life, I have a battle plan when it comes to the issue of pornography. I've shared this, but I share it over and over because I think one of the giants that has succumbed the church and taken out men of God and some women of God that he wants to use mightily is your addiction to porn. And some of you just need to man up and make a battle plan and get honest and confess and get after it. That's not who you are. It's not just not hurting anyone. You're still a someone and it impacts everything else in your life. You know, on my phone, like I don't have access to the internet on my phone. You know, on my phone, the parental controls, my wife has the code. So I literally, when I need to update it, hand it to her, she types it in, then I do the updating, and then we get it set again. You know, in our house, we have a thing that's set up, I believe, for our kids' sake, for my sake, the home should be the safest place on the planet for them. I don't want them to have experienced what I experienced. See, I have a battle plan, do you? Do you have a battle plan to experience victory? Would you this week actually take time and go, okay, I'm going to write out a plan of attack. And after I write out that plan of attack, you know what you're going to do? You know what you need to do? Run to the fight. You're going to run to the fight. David ran to the fight and faced his Goliath, and Goliath kept coming at him. You know what's interesting is if you read the story, it says that uh, halfway through, as Goliath is addressing the Israelites, that he crossed to the other side. He started to make his way up the Israelites' side of the valley. No longer was he on his side, but each day he became more and bold. Because when you tolerate your Goliath, by the way, he will take ground in your life. And for some, you have been tolerating, and Goliath's right there, right in your face. And you're like, okay, you're going to run, run, run to the fight. You have to get moving. No one else can fight for you. Take the next step. There's this idea of the law of diminishing intent. The longer you delay doing something, the less probability you have of actually doing it. One of the things I try to teach our kids, <laughs> I try to teach other people this as well, but it's just a phrase that I have. Don't delay what you can do today. Don't delay what you can do today. What do you need to do today? What step do you need to take today? In this moment, by the way, you're going to have a moment of clarity where God has spoken to you, you know the next step, and then you have the opportunity to either take it or delay it. And I promise you, if you delay it, this will be a moment that you look back on this mist. Run, run, run to the fight. Overcoming the giants in our life. First, we've got to name our Goliath. Focus on your God. Make a battle plan. Run to the fight. And always remember Jesus is your victory. Jesus is your victory. David's secret to success. Samuel 17, 47. He writes this. He said, 
All those gathered here will know that it is not by sword nor by spear that the Lord saves. For the battle is, help me out, the... Okay, we're going to try that again. I wasn't confident that you believe it. For the battle is the Lord's. And he will give all of you into our hands. See, when you're facing the giants of your life, and I don't know what that is. Always remember, never forget, Jesus is your victory. You're not fighting for victory, you're fighting from victory. It's already been conquered. When Jesus said, it is finished on the cross, it is finished. It is final. In fact, that's why Paul, the apostle, would say this, Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, he gives us the our Lord Jesus Christ. John, disciple of Jesus, would say this. This is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world? Only the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. When you get to the point, when you realize it's not based on your ability, it's based on his ability. It's not based on your work, it's based on his finished work. They go, no, 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 I'm stepping up and stepping into this, and Jesus is my victory, and I'm running to you. Yesterday was a day of sports for my kids. Um, <laughs> it was baseball field and basketball. I was at my son's uh, basketball game, and I was talking to a couple, and uh, well, it wasn't a couple per se, it was a, a young uh, mom and then a dad, but they different kids, you know what I mean. And I, I knew the mom, and she introduced me to the dad, and it's always precarious when someone introduced me, especially out in the wild, that is the world, uh, because I'm a pastor, and uh, anywhere else outside of here, it doesn't go over very well, you know? Pastor, minister. She's like, oh, what should I call you? Pastor or minister? I'm like, Ryan works. Um, it'd be great. It was interesting. We had an incredible conversation. They both had backgrounds in church and both had left the church. She had spent 22 years in the Methodist church in South Texas. In fact, this morning I dropped off Miles. Uh, for his baseball tryout this morning, and uh, that mom, as I was leaving, said, hey, say hi to the big guy for me. <laughs> sure. <laughs> sure thing. It's fascinating to me, though, that she spent 22 years in the church, and she never experienced Jesus. See, religion is not your victory. Moralism is not your victory. Jesus is your victory. Have you met him? Have you encountered him? Have you experienced Jesus? If all we're doing is singing some songs and checking that religious box, this is bull. And it will not change your life. But when you come to him and you go, Jesus, here's my life. I believe in you. Come into my life. I want a relationship with you. It changes you. And he is your victory. And you experience new life in him.
How do we overcome the giants in our life? First, you've got to name your Goliath. Then you focus on your God. How about you this week? What's your battle plan? Would you write it down? For some, the courageous next step of running to the fight is telling someone, isn't it? Nothing good grows in the dark. The secret you've been carrying has kept you captive. Would you sell some other person? James, the brother of Jesus, would say that when we confess our sins one to another, it brings healing. Like you want to experience healing, confess it to God and then tell someone else and it will bring out healing in your life. And then you move with the confidence. Okay, God, I'm moving forward. Why? Because you're my victory. You're my hope. You're my life. Would you stand with me and we'll close. For some this morning, if you run past this moment, you ran past a divine encounter that God set up for you to experience freedom and healing. And I want to challenge you to have a strategic conversation. Our prayer team is going to be in the back to your right. That you would go and you would ask for prayer and you would start today. And for others, you've never started a relationship with Jesus. And today, it's just the honest confession and saying, Jesus, I believe in you. Would you come into my life? I want you to be my victory. I don't have it all figured out, but I'm running towards you. And he answers that prayer 100% of the time. Jesus, I pray for my friends. Ask that in this moment, the very next step that you're asking people, that you're placing on their heart, you would give them the courage to respond. God, would you encourage them? Like, fill them with courage to take the next step. Would you block the lies that they've believed about themselves, that they believed about the world, that they believed about you? Remember, their hearts get wrapped up in the truth that you love them, that you're for them, You want to have them experience victory. And so, God, we say today and we confess you are our victory. In Jesus' name, amen.